Okay. So this week is Parshas Vo'era. And there were really two topics that we could have discussed this week. One is the Ramban's approach to magic, the occult, astrology, and that is a very big topic. But the one I chose to talk about this week was the Ramban's approach to Bechir Chavshis, the Ramban's approach to freedom of the will, which is also a very big topic. And unfortunately, we won't be able to sort of cover it all off uh, tonight, but hopefully we can get um, at least enough of an intro into the into this topic, and maybe we'll do another week of it, especially to see as it contrasts with the Rambam, uh, I think it will be quite edifying. Alright, so where we wanted to start, where I wanted to start for this week, is all the way back at the beginning. Back in Pashas Bereshis, the Ramban discusses what was the nature of the free choice that Adam and Eve had. What was the nature of the freedom of, of, of action that Adam and Chava had? We know that God creates man. The Pasuk tells us that Hashem puts man in Eden. He put the man and, and, and the woman in Tagan Eden. <coughs> and he gave them a job. He put them in Gan Eden to watch the garden. And he gave them a command, a specific command. The command was, You should eat from the trees of the garden, but from the tree of um but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that one you shouldn't eat from. Those were the job of man, the command of man, and that's how the that's how the story of man begins. Says the Ramban, both of the trees were in the center of the garden. Imagine Gan Eden as being a garden, and the highlight in the center, center stage of Gan Eden is your Eitz HaChayim and your Eitz Hadas So, while there is no specific command about the Eitz HaChayim, there is a general command, You should eat from all of the trees, which I think is a more shot understanding, unlike some who understand it as you may eat from all of the trees. The Torah uses the word Vayetzav. It's a command that you should eat. But then there's a proviso Says the Ramban, in the center of the garden, there was the Eitz HaChayim and the Eitz HaDas. The Eitz HaChayim B'Sech HaGon, the Eitz HaDas Tevera, 
Ba'avur Shomer Hakosav Eitz Hachayim Besoich Hagan. Because the Torah adds in the word Besoich, didn't have to use the word Besoich. Since it adds in that word, it's telling you it's not just in the garden. It's because Bagan would have told you it's in the garden. Besoich Hagan tells you it's in the middle of the garden. Both of these trees, says the Ramban. At the beginning of his career as a human, Adam and Chava are here. They're placed in Tegan Eden. At that point in time, Adam's nature was good. Adam's teva was to choose good, was to do good. That was the an essence, that was the essential nature of Adam Arishan at that point. And therefore, there was no desire, there was no need for anything external to man in terms of wishing or wanting or desiring or lusting after man simply didn't have that at all. According to the Ramban, in Edenic times, there was simply no taiva, there was no sinna, there was no ava. Man was by definition good in a childish or animalistic kind of way. He just was very natural. According to the Ramban, the Eitz HaChayim, the fruit that it gave off, was somehow an elixir of life. Somehow it provided life. And the Eitz HaDas, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Eitz HaDas Tevara, that tree, according to the Ramban, provided fruits that were going to enhance and incite the libido. So according to the Ramban, there's two trees in the center of Gan Eden, which he's darshaning from the fact that there's the word Besaich, which it didn't have to say, it could have just simply said Bagan. And the Ramban is pointing out that these two trees, one gave off fruits that were an elixir of life, that somehow enhanced life, elongated, prolonged life, and the other that enhanced or created, fostered sexual desire, the libido. And that's the Eitz Hadas, Until such point that Adam and Chava eat from the Eitz Hadas, they are, by definition, good. Their natures are good, but infantile, like little animals. Effectively, not having any awareness like an animal of nakedness. They related to their private areas the same way they related to their face or their hands. There was no difference between them in that sense and an animal other than the fact that they had additional consciousness. This is going to be key to understand the Ramban's approach to animals, which we will we'll be touching on. According to the Ramban at this stage, at the beginning of time, Adam and Chava are in Gan Eden, and they have a good nature that is, in effect, not that dissimilar to
to an animal other than the fact that they are a medaber. They have the ability to speak. They have a higher consciousness, but they don't have that kind of free choice that is dependent on desires and lusts, hatreds. They don't have love. They don't have any of that. They cohabit as needed to perpetuate the species the same way an animal does. Nothing more. This is the approach of the Ramban to Adam and Chava, how they were in Gan Eden. So after they sin, after Adam and Chava eat from the Etadas, at that stage, now they have the ability, says the Ramban, to, to choose. Now they have free choice to do good or the opposite. That is to say, now they have an evil inclination that has become a part of them. Now they have a sexual desire that's unrelated to procreation. This is all what was created as a result of imbibing from that tree in the center stage of Garden of Eden, or one of the two trees, the other being the Eitz Hachayim. So you can certainly ask, and we won't be able to really get into this now, how is it possible that Adam is an, a creature that lacks free choice, that by doing an action now creates his free choice? The simple, the simple answer, without going into too much, is this. Life is a garden of possibilities. The more, every time you take a certain action, every time you choose a certain action, it opens and closes certain other actions. By definition, somebody can't be in two places at one time. We don't live, at least not to my knowledge, right? We're not living in a quantum universe of our actions. We can't both be and not be at the same time, right? We're not Schrodinger's cat. So we have to be making a choice to do X, and therefore that opens up and closes off other possibilities. By Adam and Chava eating from the Eitz Hadas, that essentially, says the Ramban, it opened them up to a new possibility. The possibility that heretofore they had not yet been aware of. Sort of like artificial intelligence learning on the go. Now they have additional information that's been put into their system. That information consists of the ability not to listen. That, ability, that, that information consists of the ability to choose no, to disobey, to disagree. So now all the new possibilities that come along with that are input into the system, into the mainframe of the human consciousness and the human psyche. And that's how you have free choice growing from a situation where there was no choice. So that's how the Ramban opens up their embraces. should point out that if you look at, that's the Ramban embraces. If you look at the Ramban and Pashas Nitzavim, so way back, way at the end of Devarim, over there the Ramban is discussing what's going to happen La'asad Lavai. Again, as I said, it's edifying to compare this to the Rambam and other Rishonim. We won't have 
unfortunately, the time tonight. But there the Ramban says that it's going to be a different story. What's going to happen in the Messianic era is that now free choice is going to change drastically. At that point in time, says the Ramban, we're going to go back to an Edenic kind of life, which part and parcel means a diminution in our free choice. From time immemorial, from the beginning of time, of human recorded time, Adam, man, had the ability to choose to be righteous or wicked. And during the entirety of the time of the Torah, I point out this language is an unbelievable line in the Ramban. The Chol's Man we'll come back to in a second. So that they should have the choice. They should have the choice to be able to choose wisely. So they have the Torah that gives them a map of the right and wrong choices. The schus bebchiras and betoyv va'enish, and and unfortunately the other side, beritzayis and beraf. They choose unwisely. Avol says the Ramban limeis hamashiach. In future times, in the messianic era, tia bechira betoyv lahem teva. The the choice to do good is going to be a part and parcel of human nature itself. People will simply not have the desire for lusts, for things that are not appropriate or not correct. <coughs> so in other words, says the And a person is going to revert back to what Adam was like prior to his sin. In other words, the Ramban understands that there were two timelines. There's the timeline of the Zman HaTorah, and there's a timeline before the Zman HaTorah and after the Zman HaTorah. The timeline before and after the Zman HaTorah is the same. That is, the Teva of a person is to do good. The Teva of a person is to do right. It's only during the Zman HaTorah that the teva of a person has changed radically, where it is no longer a natural inclination to do good, but the opposite. And during that time of the Zman HaTorah, where a person's nature is to do evil and wicked and go against the will and the desire of God, therefore the Torah is there given to a person in order to be able to give them a road map to choose rightly. This is the position of the Ramban. Again, not everybody agrees, but this is the understanding of the Ramban. So we have time A and time C, uh, a radical lessening of what we would associate as free choice, because the nature of mankind at that point is associated with doing good, inherently. But time B, which is the time of humanity... At that point in time, man 
does have lusts, has hatred, has greed, has all sorts of sinful desires. Therefore, he has a Torah to be able to follow, to show him the right way in order to choose rightly and wisely. This is the approach of the Ramban. I just want to point out before we move on, that notice that he calls this time, the time of humanity, the time of human civilization, he calls it the Zman HaTayra. You all know that, of course, in Chazal, right, we have other ways of referring to the, the days of humanity, right? The days of humanity are broken down by Chazal into the 2,000 years of Tayu, the 2,000 years of Taira, the 2,000 years of Yemais HaMashiach. The Ramban <coughs> seems to be referring to the entirety of human civilization as the Yemais HaTaira. Um, in his words, what we, are, what we are having is the Zman HaTaira, which is, let's assume, the 6,000 years of Chazal. I find it interesting that he expands the 2,000 years of Torah to the fulsome amount of human civilization. Because it sounds like then a different kind of a... Uh, it's a different kind of a, a zug than if you say that there was 2,000 years of Torah, 2,000 years of Torah, 2,000 years of Mesa Mashiach. When you're saying 2,000 years of Torah, you're saying because that's when the Torah was given. 2,000 years Toyub is because the world was empty until Avram came along, until Meshur Rabbeinu came along. So the world was empty. And 2,000 years in Meshach Mashiach is because it's an ineluctable conclusion will be a messianic era. But from the Ramban, it sounds like a little bit different. By saying that all the 6,000 years are called Zeman HaTorah, it sounds like that there's a Zeman HaTorah in time B in our intermediate period that we call human civilization. But in time A, which is Edenic times, and time C, which is Messianic era, that's not the Zman HaTorah. Why not? Because precisely you don't need a Torah for that time. This is not Pauline Christianity. We're not saying that you don't need a Torah today. You do need a Torah today, because today precisely we have all the Yetzers and inclinations that would take us down a path of no good. So we absolutely do need a Torah in order to keep us on the right path. But what the Ramban is saying is that when you go back to Aden, or when you come to Yemais HaMashiach, at those times you do not need the Torah to be teaching you or giving you the guidelines for how to choose rightly, because by definition, your Teva, your nature, will ensure that you choose rightly. All right. So now I want to segue into our Parsha this week. In our Parsha this week, we have uh, traveled some bit of time. We have left Adam in Gan Eden, and man has traversed some thousand, 2,000 years of various unfulfilled approaches, usually going away from God. And God is now, instead of choosing humanity to be his standard bearer, he's chosen a family, and that family has found their way in Egypt, that they've grown and they've been enslaved, and now we're in the thick of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is 
telling Maishu Rabbeinu to go to Parit, bring the Makas. And this is what is going on in the sort of day-to-day of our Parsha, of our Sedra this week. In the course of these instructions, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Meishu Rabbeinu, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So the Ramban uses this as an opportunity to get engaged again in discussing his approach to free choice. We've already looked at a Ramban in Bereshis, we've looked at a Ramban in Yitzavim, and now we'll look at a Ramban in Parshish that inspired me to discuss this topic today. So the Ramban in Parshish is understandably famous, and over here he gives his approach. Again, it's not the approach of every one of the Rishonim. There are many, many approaches. Maybe we'll mention some others. But the approach of the Ramban is he's bothered by a question. A question that he says plagues everyone. What's going on here? God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. How is that fear? At the end of the day, we expect God to be fear. We expect him to run a game that's not rigged. Because if it's a rigged game, then what's the point of playing it anyways? So the Rabban starts out by bringing down a medrash. The medrash describes a dispute between Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish. These brother-in-laws, study partners, have a very different opinion about whether or not this Pasuk is okay or not okay. Says Rabbi Yechanan, V'ani slave parai is mikan, says the Rabbi Yechanan, pischein peh This gives an opening for heretics. Why? Because you're taking away the guy's free choice. You're hardening his heart. You're not letting him choose what he wants to do. He's not making a free choice. If he's not making a free choice, then the game is rigged, and then there's no point in really playing the game. You're just simply doing what you want, God, and we should just sit around and wait for you to do what you want to do, because whatever we're doing is really not relevant. So this Pasuk is a Pischen Peh to the meaning. It gives an opening to heretics to challenge and say, what's the point of all this? Says Vishlagash, not at all. There's no opening to heretics over here. <coughs> because after all, how many times? Yistaim Piyam Shalamin and these heretics should shut their mouths, says Vishlagash. You know why? Because he got so many warnings from Moshe. This is not like something that came in as a surprise. Maishra Benu came to him and said, Listen, let my people go. This is what God said. And he gave him a whole bunch of signs to support his contention that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants him to let the Jewish people go. And what did Paro do? He just simply ignored it. He initially said, well, Mi Hashem, Asher Shema I don't know who this God is. I never met him. He's not in my books. And he has all manners of excuses. To explain away his obdurance, his refusal, his obstinance to acquiesce before God. He consistently and constantly refuses to pay heed, to take a knee, to bow 
to accept the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the people out. And again, remember, this is all part of this larger subterfuge that he's not letting the people go forever. He's letting them merely go for a little sacrificial holiday in the desert. This is not exactly being asked to let go of a mighty um, element of his economy. Presumably the free labor or indentured servitude that the Jews were under was some significant amount of the Egyptian economy. They built cities essentially at a much cheaper cost of labor for, for, the, for the country than they would otherwise have to import or, or find others to, to do such work. So it would be perfectly understandable for economic reasons that Pharaoh is not going to want to let him go for nothing. But that's not what he's being asked for here. He's being asked for a relatively reasonable request <coughs> which may open a Pandora's box of other problems. Because if you let the people go for a little bit, well, maybe let them go for more. But as the Barbanel and others point out, he's being asked of a relatively minor request. Give a little bit of a holiday. These people have been working for hundreds of years really hard. Give them a little bit of a holiday. And this shows that the obdurate, ref the, the refusal to act reasonably on the part of Pharaoh, and therefore loses any modicum of, of feeling sorry for him, or any, any feeling that, you know, maybe there was some basis to his abject refusal. There wasn't, because he couldn't even consider being reasonable, just being a bit of a mensch to a people that had been enslaved by his country for an obscenely long period of time. Says the Ramban, This machlaikas between Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish helps us get at a topic that, you know, the Eilam's kasha, that, that's what the Ramban says, the Eilam asks, the Velt asks the following question. He says, I don't understand... I could get why you say that the Egyptians were doing something wrong, enslaving the Jews for the past 200 years. Okay. But why is Parai wrong for not letting the Jewish people out? After all, God hardens his heart. So the Ramban first makes a distinction. He says, look, there are 10 plagues. We have to divide the plagues. There's a difference between the first five and the second five. In the first five plagues, the Jewish people are being asked to let be let out for this sacrificial holiday, and Paro is responding by hardening his own heart. In the second five plagues, when Moshe is asking the Jewish people to be let out for their holiday, Hashem is hardening Paro's heart. There's a difference between the two. So really, we're not going to have any question on the first five plagues because there Pharaoh's doing the work on himself. There he's finding his own reservoirs and reserves of power and fortitude to be able to resist. But in the second five plagues, that's where the issue comes up. How could it be that we blame him and punish him repeatedly 
for something that he has no choice for. On this, the Ramban gives two answers. The first answer that the Ramban gives is, look, at the end of the day, what did Paro do? You can't look at it in isolation on what happened now during these last five plagues. Because at this stage, then Jews are not even working anymore. You have to look at, on a national level, the amount of wrong that has built up what the Egyptians have committed, the atrocities that they've done against the Jewish people. And that amount of wrong, the sheer amount of wrongdoing is so gross, it's so massive, that that alone militates against a person having the ability to make a choice. At that stage of such obduracy, of such disgusting attitudes just towards your fellow human beings, you've reached a place of no return. Says Ramban, Egypt has sunk into a place of such evil that there's simply no room left to be able to repent. And that's what it means Hashem is taking away the free choice. It's deserved, not because of what happened during those last five plagues. At that stage, Pharaoh is, as we would say, an overbottle. But it's what happened before that. It's all of the actions that were taken by that nation against the Jewish people. They have accumulated and they have metastasized and they're so bad that there's no longer a right for the nation to exercise any choice. They're going to now be the, the rag doll that's going to get beat on by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's number one. The second answer, and the Ramban says they're both MS, the second answer that the Ramban gives is he says, look, it is true that after the first five Makas were over, Power was ready to let the Jews go. He had been beaten pretty bad. And at this stage, he had learned his lesson. He's willing to allow the Jewish people to go. But, why is he willing to allow the Jewish people to go? He's willing to allow the Jewish people to go, says the Ramban, not for the right reason. Right? When, when you're Kaifin, I say, Achiyema writes any, you're not getting the person to say, okay, I'm giving this my wife to get because I want to do what's right. No. He's being beaten to a crisp, and so therefore, he doesn't want to be beaten anymore. So, okay, here's the get. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants out of Pharaoh is that he should say, as we say in this week's parasha, this is the reason why you're here. Why is Pharaoh being kept as king? The only reason you're here, the only reason for your existence, is that you're going to go around and talk about how great God is. And talk about how wondrous HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. When Paro is getting beaten down, 
he's not ready to send the Jewish people out for the right reasons. He's only sending them out to avoid getting more beat downs. So what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, in order to ensure that his name will be spoken about, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu enables him to now have the ability to resist. He hardens his heart. So now he will no longer feel the pain of the makas, of the pressure from the body politic of the Egyptian public that's coming after him and presumably putting pressure in their editorials, in the newspapers, in the radios, and saying, Pharaoh, just let him go, enough. Right? As we see in the beginning of next week's Parsha, the, that the, the, the wise people there in Egypt, they say to Pharaoh, enough already. Let him go already. You can imagine that Pharaoh was under immense pressure internally, that what he thought, was perhaps not an innocuous request, was potentially a dangerous request, was now fast turning into a threat to the entirety of the Egyptian nation. These people were causing, or their God was causing, there to be a series of these plagues that were harming the Egyptian economy, killing their people and making li- their animals, their livestock, making life very difficult. So presumably, what, what the Ramban is trying to say is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardens Pari's heart so that he becomes deaf to all of the people saying to let them go. He becomes immune to any pressure. He doesn't feel or hear anything saying, let him out. And now he has the free choice to choose to send them out for the right reasons. Of course, he chooses not to, which is why he keeps on getting beaten. But the reason that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is hardening his heart is not to prevent him from letting them go. Not at all. The reason that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is hardening Pharaoh's heart, says the Ramban, is so that he should be able to make the choice to let him go, not because of the Makis, but because he is bending the knee, he is acquiescing that there is a greater power than him in this world. That the sun god is really not the god, and HaKadosh Baruch is the real god of the universe. That is the two answers of the Ramban. Just to alderich this is the Sfarno's famous answer, which is very similar to the Ramban, that he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardens Paro's heart. When he's hardening Paro's heart, what he's doing is he's not preventing Paro from having free choice. By hardening Paro's heart, <coughs> he's enabling Paro to have free choice. The more Paro had gotten beaten down, the less he would be able to have any proclivity to real free choice. He would have to choose let him go. So by Hashem hardening Paro's heart, he gives him back again the 50-50 ability to make a choice yay or to make a choice nay. So it's a little bit different than the Ramban because the Ramban, of course, in the second answer is saying that HaKadosh Baruch gives Paro the, the hardening of the heart in order so that he should be able to make the choice to resist the Makas or to let the Jewish people out for the right reason. 
So it's a similar but a little bit different take on this idea <coughs> that Hashem hardening Paro's heart is not is not to um, uh, punish him, which is the first answer of the Ramban, but rather it's to enable free choice. It's either to enable the free choice to choose to send the Jews out for the right reasons, or to simply give the free choice to be able to resist the Makis, which is the approach of the Sparna. The Ramban then points out the following. He says, okay, this is a real nice answer, but if you recall, go back to Pasha Shmais, before the whole saga of the Makis started. Hashem told Moshe at the Sneh, Hashem told Moshe at the Sneh, that, by the way, that I know that Pyro is not going to let you go. I know that he's not going to let you go. I'm going to harden his heart, Hashem said then. And this is before any of the Makkas were brought. So the Ramban is really, without saying it, saying a, or alluding to a very fundamental problem. And this is one that, like I said, we don't really have time to go into tonight. But this is the wider problem of how does divine foreknowledge coexist with free choice? In other words, if Hashem is telling Maishu Rabbeinu before the advent of any Makkas, not the first five, the second five, this is before any Makkah, this is at the Sneh. So Moshe, here's how it's going to go. And Hashem lays it out for him. And he says that Paro is not going to let it go. And I'm going to harden his heart. That makes sure that it's not going to happen. That he's going to let you go. Then it's not a Kaddish Baruch Hu hardening Paro's heart after five Makkas. The Ramban is saying, but it's really that Hashem knew it was going to happen the whole time. That it was never going to ever allow Paro to let the Jewish people go. Not the, it's not a situation from the second five makas. Hashem knew that the first five makas he would say no, and the second five makas he's going to have to give him a little extra something to make sure he keeps on saying no. But the whole time they had no choice ever to say yes, because Hashem always knew he was going to say no. So how could you say power had a free choice to be able to say no when Hashem knew he would always say no? This question that the Ramban is alluding to here is a question that has plagued the philosophers and theologians of all world religions, whoever believes in an omniscient, ubiquitous, omnipresent God that is beyond space and time forever. And there's no real good answer. What I wanted to do, if we had time, which we don't have, is to explore that answer. Um, but as I said, we don't have time. I'll just mention that the Ravid in Hechus Tshuva says when the Rambam brings up this question, the Ravid says that the Rambam didn't take the path of the wise, uh, of the wise Chachamim. He says, because you don't open up Pandora's box, which you can't shut. Since you're going to open up a question that has plagued centuries of scholars and no one can come up with an answer that works, but once you open it up, what are you going to try to do? 
close it by giving a good answer. No one's answer works because no one can have an answer that is satisfactory to the human mind. It's a paradox, and it's been a paradox forever. It'll be a paradox forever. So I did want to open the Pandora's box, but uh, and I know we will be able to close it, but at least to go through the different approaches to it, but we just don't have the time right now tonight. But I, But it is clear that the Ramban is alluding to this point. He is alluding to this problem. Because at the end of the day, Hashem did make it clear to Maishu Rabbeinu that Paro's heart would be hardened by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And this is long before any Maka ever occurred. So how could you say that Paro ever really had any free choice to let the Jewish people go? So on this, the Ramban attempts to, to, to put forth a little bit of an answer. It's not 100% clear that, that he wants to get into it in too much detail over here. He seems to suggest that he's sort of telling Maish Rabbeinu the future. Says the Ramban, This that I said, this that uh, the Ramban is saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Maish that I'm going to make Paras heart hard and he's not going to send the people out. He was letting Maish Rabbeinu know. He was letting him in on the future. Last is baby Makasachrain. So that's gonna happen at the last five plagues. Kenyan Shinema, like a like a Pasik says, when Because Hashem says, I know that he's not gonna let you go, even with a strong hand. And this is what it means, I'm gonna harden his heart, I'm gonna make sure man I'm gonna make manifest all my miracles. I'm gonna make the heart hard for Pari, so that I can enhance and increase the amount of miracles in Egypt. Because in those last five makas, Hashem is the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. So what does that mean? How does that answer the question? Hashem is letting Moshe know what's going to happen in the future? So now it's not just Hashem who knows, but also Moshe knows. So now the whole thing is a charade, is a game. How does it answer the question? It's not clear. It's not clear from the Rambam what he wanted to do in terms of this answer. I believe that the Ramban is going to, or I, I would like to embellish the Ramban and suggest that I think the Ramban would go with the attempt that many commentaries do, like the Ravid, like the Rambam and others, which is that somehow God's knowledge has to be, the paradox is that God's knowledge and our knowledge, or our lack thereof, or our lack of knowledge, have to be able to coexist and cohere at the same time. And one does not impact the other. God's knowledge is outside of space and time within which we live. And therefore, as a result, his knowledge is not impactful on our choice. This is where the Rambam gets stuck and starts to, um, I think the only kind word would be to say blather. That's not the right word to say about the Rambam. But he starts to talk. And at the end of the day, as the Ravid says, he talks and talks and there's nothing to say. Um, but it sounds like maybe that's where the Ramban is going. But again, we don't have time right now to explore that. Uh, that, Well, maybe that's uh, you know for another week. This question of how the divine providence can coexist with... Uh, I'm sorry, the divine foreknowledge can coexist with... Um, with human free choice, 
is not a new question from the Rambam. It's already in times of the Mishnah, right? The Rabbi Akiva already said that I called Safwe Varshus Nitna, right? Varshus Nasuna, that everything is seen, right? By Kaddish Baruch, everything is seen, but nevertheless, we still have, <clears throat> we still have choice. Now, I want to go back again, because what we've done is we've settled out that there's the time A and time C, right? The time before uh, uh, sort of human civilization, Edenic time and Messianic era time. During that time, we have no real free choice according to the Ramban. We have our tevas are good. We are conditioned to do right. But during the time of human civilization, during the Zman HaTayra, at that point, we need a Torah to be able to be Becher Betayv V'leibara. At that point, we have the need for choice because we can choose unwisely, we can choose wrongly, so we need to have a roadmap, which is the Torah, to help us choose correctly. <coughs> the Ramban says in Eov, in relation to divine providence, in relation to Hashgacha Pratis, Something interesting, which sounds not so much like other Rambans that we see here in Chumash. This is the Ramban and Eov that's found in the Kol Kisve of the Ramban. Over there the Ramban says that the Hashgacha, divine providence, on a person is going to be primarily focused on elite human beings on human beings that are attempting to cleave on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the further away you go from that, so in other words, imagine animals, that they're going to have less Hashgacha. On them, things will go more bimikre, more Adarachateva, less with specific divine providence associated with them. And therefore, says the Ramban, Shechita is permitted because an animal is by definition not being watched in the same way as a human being. A human being, a medaber, is on a higher level by definition. And clearly as you get up in the totem pole of the ethos of a human, you become closer and closer to your soul. More and more you get sort of the divine providence. So, I want to take this understanding of the Ramban and use it to again to go back to the beginning, to give a further clarification, a further edification on the part of the Ramban as to how he views free choice. Because you remember what we said that according to the Ramban, mankind in the times of Adam Arishan, Edenic man, was almost animal like. In the sense that he had no shame, he was unaware of his nakedness, he procreated like an animal would, he viewed his sort of private areas the same way as his face or his hands, the same way as an animal would. The Ramban has a number of places where he discusses the free choice of animals. And the free choice of animals is obviously not the free choice of human beings today. But it gives further insight into how the Ramban understood 
the free choice of Adam, who was obviously always greater than an animal, but only to a more limited degree than, of course, after he eats from after he eats from the Eitz Hadas. So, if you look at the Ramban back in Parshas Noach, after Hakadosh Baruch Hu has, as it were, smelled the the carbon, the sacrifice from Noach, so now the game, the rules of the game have changed. And now man will be permitted to partake of animals. And the Torah says that that's not, that's not two-way street. The, on the other hand, the animals may not partake of us. They are for us for food, but not vice versa. So animals could eat animals, humans could eat animals, but animals are not to be eating humans. Says the Rambam. Animals do not have a comparable das to humans. That is for sure true. <coughs> so how is it that God is going to reckon with the animals if they take a human life? What does it mean, Miyad Kochaya Edrishenu? Says the Ramban, he thinks what it means is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is implanting in the DNA of the animals. It's sort of a... a, a um, an inherent aspect of what it means to be an animal, something fundamental in the psyche of an animal, that they shouldn't view humans as food. Obviously, that's not always true. And sometimes you find animals that will attack humans. But generally speaking, that's the idea of the Ramban. So once, in other words, once God had changed nature and had played around allowing humans to eat animals, allowing animals to eat animals, now animals were supposed to be prevented from eating humans. Furthermore, if you look back at the Ramban in the beginning of Bereshus, the Ramban explained, unlike Rashi, that animals and um, humans had different food. Rashi seems to suggest that before the flood, Humans and animals ate the same thing. They both ate vegetation. But any vegetation was open to humans in the same way that it was open to animals. And the Ramban disagreed. The Ramban viewed there as being a distinction between the food that was available to humans and the food that was available to animals even prior to the flood. Even though nobody's allowed to eat flesh at that point, nevertheless still, still was understood by the Ramban, that there was different types of vegetation permitted to the human versus the vegetation that was permitted to the animal. According to the Ramban, the Adam, man, was allowed to eat any any herbs that, ye, that had seeds and the animal, and any fruits, and the animals were allowed to eat vegetation, but not fruits or... Um, these herbs that had zerazerazar uh, that had seeds. That's the approach of of the Ramban. Now, says the Ramban, the reason that Adam was not able to eat meat at that stage was because the animals have a nefesh. That nefesh abahamis that we call in, in sort of today's more mystical language, they had or they have a soul. An animalistic soul. They have some sense of soul. They have a soul. They have a consciousness in some way. In a sense, 
says the Ramban, they're comparable to humans. They also have, says the Ramban, some elements of free will. They are not a medaber in that sense, but they have abilities to communicate with each other. They have abilities to run away from harm. They have abilities to enjoy themselves to whatever ways that we can see them enjoying themselves. And therefore, we weren't permitted pre the flood to partake of a soul, of another animal with a consciousness with some elements of free choice. And even after the flood, even after the flood, that now animals became permitted for humans, for human consumption, there was still a distinction between killing and eating an animal while they're alive versus while they're dead. You're 100% not allowed to eat an animal while they're alive because that's considered eating their soul. And that's eating something conscious. That's eating something that's still connected to the divine. Every soul says the Ramban, even in an animal, still has some element of the divine in it. Even if that soul is not of the same quality as a human soul, there's still some divine aspect in that soul. Because that is still a conscious, sentient being that has desires, that has the abilities to realize those desires, has ability to protect and preserve itself, to procreate, says the Ramban, that's the reason the Torah doesn't allow you to eat anything which is alive. Tzar um eating Eber Menachai, all that stuff, totally prohibited, forbidden. It's only after the animal is dead and that soul is no longer that at that point it's permitted to partake of the meat. That is the Ramban in Bereshis. And the Ramban reiterates this point in Vayikra. The Ramban there says, and I know we're getting short on time, just we'll, we'll, we'll end with this. The Ramban there says in Vayikra that the Torah makes it very clear. That he first, well, let's start with the beginning. He first brings down the Ramban in the Marna Vuchim. The Ramban in the Marna Vuchim, as he does many, many times, says that the reason for a certain command is because of the idolaters, right? The idolaters did X, so in order to be lahachas, in order to show how we don't have any um, interest in engaging with the idolaters, we'll do the opposite to show that we have no, we we, we give it no uh, validity what the idolaters do. The most famous example of that, of course, is um, well, I shouldn't say the most, but there are many, many famous examples of it including over here in relation to um, not eating from the, the animal's blood. Why is the Torah so against blood, eating blood? So the Rambam, the Rambam brings down the Marin of Vuch, and the Rambam says because it was used in idolatry, like sacrifices used in idolatry. <coughs> um, says the Rambam. The Rambam says that we may not partake of any blood. Instead, we use the blood to purify. We use the blood to sprinkle. We use it in ways to show our closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to become pure, as opposed to as opposed to what the idolaters use the blood for. Says the, the, 
The Ramban, I don't like the answer. Yes, this is the approach of the Rambam typically, but I don't love it. Instead, says the Rambam, you know what I think? I think the reason the Torah doesn't want you to go near blood is not just simply to show how we're very different than the idolaters. Says the Rambam, I think the reason is because blood is the place where the soul sits. That was thought to be the keeper of the soul, right? As the Pasuk tells us, Dhammai ben Afshay, right? So therefore, says the Ramban, HaKadosh Baruch created all the animals. They're there to serve man. They're inferior to men, and no one's saying otherwise. However, even though it's permitted for man to partake of these animals, even though these animals are here for our benefit, nevertheless, animals have a soul. He says, and this is beautiful, he says, this is why we find that dogs love their masters and they're so loyal. He says, this is because of the fact that they have some elements of a soul. They have some elements of more than just simply being a sentient being. They have a soul. And all souls are connected to God. That's why they have the sense to flee danger. That's why they have the sense to procreate. That's why they have the the sense to have enjoyment. It may not be on the level of a human soul, but it is a level of a soul. And therefore, we don't want to partake in it whatsoever. We can only eat it after it's dead and after the blood has been removed. (coughs) So therefore, what we come to now is, I hope, a bit of a more full understanding of the Ramban's understanding of free choice. Free choice had three time zones in the Ramban's construct. There was Edenic time, Messianic time. At those points in time, there was much less free choice. Then there's time B, which is our time in this world, where free choice is significant, where we have a Zman HaTorah, we have a Torah to give us commands as to how to utilize and regulate that free choice. Interestingly, though, the Ramban suggests that it's not just us that has free choice. There are animals that have free choice, too. It is to a lesser degree, to a significantly lesser degree, but they also have abilities to realize and their own happiness, their own ability to flee from danger, their own way of showing loyalty, etc. And therefore, when we think about Adam pre the sin, that was a that was an Adam who by Teva was good, who didn't really have free choice, who related to life like an animal. He certainly had more free choice than an animal, but we can now see that it wasn't so dissimilar. We were very animalistic, because even animals in the understanding of the Ramban have some elements of free choice as well. And with this, now we can understand, sort of, when we come to a partial like Vaira, where we see Parai is being punished by taking away his free choice, by the understanding of the Ramban, is either because of the fact that he has done so much evil, or his country has done so much evil, that this is a punishment, or because of the fact that he is being given the ability to choose correctly and let the Jewish people go for the right reasons. And that is all for today. Have a good Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.